love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women Podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski, and I am here with my co-host, fellow professional triathlete, Haley Chura, who, if I had to guess based on the Instagram story I saw today, has been maybe shoveling some snow this morning. Haley, what's life like in Bozeman? Ding, ding, ding. You are correct. I have sore arms, Alyssa, and is not from doing bicep curls in the gym. <laughs> I'm like, what is this feeling? Our sport is usually so leg dominant, leg heavy, but I woke up this morning and I looked out the window. I woke up to swim, so fairly early. And I looked at the window and I was like, oh, it really did snow. It was forecasted to snow, but um, you know, and I figured we'd have a little bit, but I kind of just, you know, part of me didn't believe it. It's October, early October. Like, I mean, we usually get snow, but it's usually like a dusting and it's kind of nice and you're like, oh, pretty. And then it goes away really quick. And so it was more than I expected. And then I drove to the pool and it was coming down like very heavy, like so much. And I swam. I did my little swim workout. I was trying to be very, very efficient this morning because we were recording this on the day of the Boston Marathon and I wanted to be back in time because I'm in mountain time. So I I knew I'd be like, if I got my swim done really quick, I could make it back in time to watch the Boston Marathon. And so I came back out and just like you know, a little over an hour that I was in the pool, there was like several inches of snow on my car. And I was like, oh goodness. And the story gets even better because I drove back. I drove home again, trying to be so efficient. I got back and my garage door wouldn't open. And no. I, I know I hasn't shut. No, it wasn't that cold, but I was like, Oh no, what's happened? Because cowboy was inside. I normally have a key on my, on my car keys, but through a strange series of events. There was no key hidden. There was no key on my car keys. I had no, I had not left any doors open and I was like, Oh no. And this is like 7am and, um, locksmith wouldn't be open until eight 30. And I was like, Oh no. So I was like, it must be the battery in my garage door open or something. That must be what's happening. Cause I'm like, it closed this morning. And so I drove to, the grocery store. And as I'm driving on main street, which is the street I had just driven down, I was like, wait a second, all the lights are out. Like all the street lights, like are all not all street lights, but like traffic lights. And so it's like a little chaotic. Cause by this time, like people are starting to go to work. There's more people on the road. I'm not the, I am not the most confident driver and it's, you know, snow. There's like four inches of snow at this point coming down big, heavy, wet flakes, no traffic control. And I was like, sometimes it's just one of those things where you're like, the world is just like working against me. And I get to the grocery store and it's closed because the, the, um, power is out. That's like why there's no, um, no streetlights. And also the pool had closed, like the pool power had gone out because I had to drive right back by the pool. So that was the one thing that worked to my favor. I got there's, you know, early bird swimming. There's your like, um, benefit for that. I did get my swim done before the power went out in the pool, but, um, and I was like, that's why my garage door wouldn't open. There's no power. And so I went, I, I also went to another grocery store because I was like, well, at least I will go get myself like some food. And I got myself some donuts and they were horrible. They were disgusting. What? Yes. What? what? <laughs> I don't even know. How do you make a bad donut? I just yeah, was like, seriously. I bought a new battery just in case. I bought a battery for my heart rate monitor because it seems like I go through those like candy. So I was just like going through the battery aisle eating my disgusting donut. But then by the time I got back home, at least my place, the power back on, I was able to rescue cowboy. We went out in the snow. Um, and then I made a half-hearted attempt at shoveling because it was so heavy and so wet that I, I do normally like do a little bit of my neighbor's driveway too. Cause they kind of are like connected. And today I was like, they can do it themselves. <laughs> I just got tired. Usually I go until I get too cold. Today it wasn't too cold, but I was like, you know, I, it is, this is not in my training peaks. <laughs> That's well, Haley, I 
Yeah. I mean, it does seem a little early for like six inches of wet, heavy snow. And it would make it interesting because it is still fall with the leaves and the trees and everything else. But I, yeah, I don't know. Well, that was the problem. That's why the power is out, right? Because the leaves, the trees still have a lot of leaves on them. So it is very heavy. The poor trees. I, Cowboy and I were going to go walk on this little trail and there was like a big, like, boom, a crashing boom because trees are falling. And so I was like, and Cowboy is a very, very self-preservation you know, kind of dog. And he was like, I am not walking down there. I will hold it. And so we went back home. <laughs> so, I mean, it, we that's what we have in common. We were like, yeah, yeah. no. Well, we I feel like with six this. inches of snow, it's just like, let's hunker down. It's like the first one. You can just watch it and they'll be like, yeah, some prettiness to enjoy at home. That's okay. Don't, yeah, don't watch out for the falling trees. That's like a real danger. It is. I like have a couple little trees near me that I was like shaking the snow off of it. Cause I was like, please don't break little tree. I love you. Well, Haley, my arms are sore for a very different reason. Um, but also not triathlon related this week because I finished that 24 hour adventure race that I was going to do this past weekend. Yeah. Have you gotten any sleep since? Uh, I got a full night's sleep last night. So I took a two hour nap yesterday and it was like one of those naps where it was like, I, my eyes opened, but my body still felt stuck to like, I was like in a tiny corner of the couch and I was like, I feel stuck to this couch right now, but if I don't force myself to get up, I'm going to sleep for another six hours and then like, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight and my whole, like, I won't get anything done today and everything will be ruined. Right. So I forced myself to get up after a little nap and then went to bed pretty early, like eight thirty or nine, I think. And then slept a full like 10 hours, which is a lot of sleep Ooh. for me. So I feel, I'm sure I'm not like caught up, caught up, but allegedly you can never catch up anyway once you don't sleep for a night. So, um, but anyway, I'm feeling more rested than I was this time yesterday, which is good. But Haley, okay. So what I was going to say is my arms are sore because we did, there was paddling. We knew we would be canoeing in this race and I just wanted to set the mental picture for everyone. So the start of uh, this race was starting, you know, when you're doing an adventure race, you have different levels of information that you know about the course and what you'll be doing. So we knew, basically what we knew was that at 9am we had to be on a bus outside the like, you know, where you checked in and then the race was starting at 10am. So they were taking us to like an undisclosed start location, right. For the start of the mm -hmm. race. And that was like basically what we knew going into the, the race before we got maps and all that stuff. So we got maps in the morning, we got a little bit more information about the course and what we'd be doing. And we realized that we were starting with a paddling leg of the race um, at Lake Willoughby, which people familiar with Vermont would know that it is a, like a super popular, beautiful, beautiful area of Vermont, like really picturesque. There's a lot of open water swim races that happen there um, and that sort of thing. And in the back of my mind, I was like, man, my my friend Shirley that I used to swim masters with and swim a lot with, she definitely did a lot of races in Lake Willoughby. And I always I, like in the back of my head was like this memory of her saying everyone always thinks Lake Willoughby is calm, but it's always super choppy. So I was like, ah, this is like, you know, I wonder what Lake Willoughby is going to be like because I hadn't been there. And so we get on the bus. We know we're going there. And we get off the bus. And Haley, it is like winds whipping, white caps in the lake. I mean, it was so <laughs> crazy. And I was just luckily since we didn't know that much going into it, like, I mean, I didn't have that much time to like assess the situation and start to get really nervous about what was about to happen, including the fact that we were now going to have, I don't know how many teams there were. I could probably do like a little count really quickly here, but, um, let's see, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 12, 17, 14, 25 teams, I guess, maybe a little more teams. So you have teams and boats. So there's like 25 boats on the shore, right? So think about like the stress of a mass start when you're just like swimming, right? All of a sudden now picture like boats, right? With your wave of people, right? So it was like, again, going, taking the canoe, going into the white caps of the lake, paddling with like 25 other boats around you. Everyone's going different directions. And then the kicker is, is canoes are made with two seats, right? So I was a three person team. And I had, I had intended, so this story is getting really long, but I'm going to tell the whole thing because it's, I'm a co-host of a podcast and I can tell the whole thing, right? So canoes have two seats. And so, um, in the boundary waters, we did two person canoeing when Matt and I took our vacation there and our third teammate, Will was on that vacation with us. So we all practiced canoeing. I was a really good steerer. So typically when you canoe, the front person and the middle person, if you have someone, is like kind of the motor and they're just like paddling. And then the person in the rear of the boat, the stern, I guess, is is the steerer and they're in charge of like controlling. 
but steering gets infinitely harder when there's a lot of chop and wind and things like that. And so I took one look and I was like, there's no way I can do the steering in these conditions and feel good about it. So I'm going to have to sit in the middle seat. The other part of this decision was that the middle seat, we, there is no middle seat in a canoe. So like they, and we knew this going into it and they told us like, you can make a seat or do whatever. And I don't know why we didn't really assess this further out. But I had, I saw Abby Perkis, who is with Rootstock Racing on Friday, and she mentioned that they were using a milk crate for their middle seat. And I was like, man, my, pl-. and I was, Haley, honestly, I thought like the middle person, what maybe wasn't even paddling, you know, like I thought they were just going to be sitting there and the other two, like, I didn't even understand that they had to paddle. We just clearly hadn't thought this through. So anyway, what we came up with was for our metal seat was like a five gallon bucket, just like a normal five gallon bucket. And when we realized the size of the canoes, like if you, and the chop of the water, like if you sat up on the bucket, you'd be going into the water. Like you wouldn't survive this like paddle this way. So that meant I had to then turn the bucket on its side. So it's just like a sideways bucket and straddle the bucket in the middle of the canoe and just like sit on it like that. Like I was riding a bucket basically for the <laughs> and it's entire... like rolling around. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, it was pretty, we, there is like another, there's a bar in the canoe. So I at least had a bar behind me so that I wasn't like sliding backwards, but it was, I mean, it's really like painful on your knees and ankles. Right. So it was comfortable for like 10 minutes and then it got really painful. Um, but I spent how many hours or were you? Yeah. How many hours? First paddle was 90 minutes where I was doing that. And then the second paddling leg, I think took us, let's see, we got there. I think we were leaving at five 30 and we probably got done around eight 30. So three hours like that. So that was, that was like, at the end of that one, I basically had to like, yeah, it took a long time to get myself out of that position. Cause you know, when you're like sitting in a position for a while and then you try and stand up or something and your joints are all locked. Mm -hmm. And that was like that tenfold, I feel like. But, um, so anyway, I went to go do a shakeout swim and I was like, whoo, my arms are like definitely sore from a cumulative, what, four and a half hours of paddling or whatever it was that I think we did. Um, how'd you do? Did you, after the boundary, how'd the team do? I'm happy to report that we came in second. So yeah, um, much better performance for Matt and I than we did at the two rivers adventure race back in May. People will remember me talking about, we've learned a lot. Our navigation has gotten really good. Um, we brought in Will as our third teammate to try that dynamic. And we think that was really successful. So, um, it was really exciting. It was really fun. It was an amazing way to get to see some parts of Vermont that are really fun. I'm just going to say one other part. So there was a mystery stage, Haley. And um, so we knew nothing about it other than you get to this checkpoint, you're told what it is. And we had convinced ourselves that the mystery stage was dog sledding because we saw on the website for the race that like a dog sledding company was a sponsor. And we're like, and they have like the summer version or something where you do like a wheelie cart, you know? And so I was mm-hmm. like, man, we're definitely going to do something with dog sledding or they're going to attach like the teams of the dog sleds and you have to pull your teammates or something. And they were like, this has never been done in an adventure race. This is something, you know, so they like really built it out. I was like, this is definitely going to be dog sledding. And so we're riding there, you know, we do the first couple stages. We're riding over there. I'm like, yes, we're going to like pet dogs or feed dogs. I don't know. I thought I was going to get to like pet some dogs in the middle of the race, right? We show up, Haley, at a corn maze. And so we yeah. do like three corn maze. So two of the three were on a bike. So like biking through the corn maze and figuring it out, which was very difficult for my brain. And then one long one was on foot. And it was really, I always, I had never done a corn maze before. I thought I would want to do one. Like I, you know, you pass by them and you're like, oh, well, I want to try that. Right. Like get a pumpkin pie slice or something, a maple creamy and like go do the corn maze. But I am definitely ready never to be back in a corn maze. I don't think I would have made it was out. It scary? Did you it feel like you were in like a scary movie? Uh, going to jump out at you? No, it wasn't. We were there in the daylight. Forever? Well, so we were there in the daylight, like as the sun was setting, but in the back of my head, I was like, we've got to get out of these things before, before the sun actually sets. But y- you do just like, I did start to feel like, oh my goodness, especially in the bike, like turn getting turned around on the bike one felt was like happening a lot and it was just are there like really other cyclists in there too so you're gonna like run into another bike like yeah another cyclist? yeah you have to like manage the other teams who are also biking their way and it's just funny because like then everyone's lost like a different time right and so you just keep running you're looking for points and you just keep running into the same people and everyone's like oh my gosh like how are we gonna get out of this thing in one piece but they did a really good it. It, it was a cool feature to like to add in it was definitely doable um and yeah it was a so all told 
really fun weekend. Um, really happy with how we did. And I think uh, there's more adventure racing in my future. Nice. Did you, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but did you watch any of the Boston Marathon this morning? Did you see Nell Rojas, who has yes. been an Iron Woman podcast <laughs> guest? Yes. Sixth place, sixth place. Like, Excellent race. I was like, I know her. That's my friend. And I'm like, my friend, I mean, podcast guest, but yes, she's doing so well. It was really fun to see. Um, she looked like she had a heck of a race. I mean, she was in it. I was kind of hoping for like a Molly Seidel moment where she would be like in that lead group and then suddenly just like keep going with whoever went off the front kind of thing. Um, but, and that didn't happen, but I mean, sixth place top American, I think it was a PR for her, but I think, uh, the announcers were saying, you know, there's like a fun, uh, family PR with her and her dad, who's run Boston to see who would have the faster marathon time there. And I think she was a little bit off of that, but, um, I mean, really impressive to see. I think she's been waiting to kind of showcase how, you know, her talent for that distance for a while. So that was really exciting to see. Yeah, I was watching the NBC Sports uh, broadcast with Kara Goucher commentating, and she kept mentioning how Nell was a, a former triathlete. So I was like, oh, giving triathlons some good prep or props here. Um, you know, good, good, good to have us uh, get some good news. And then I also want to give a quick shout out to Bentley Grace Hicks, who is she um, raced as an assisted athlete. So she had uh, a guy named Chris Nasser, who's from Atlanta, pushing her. And they raced with the Kyle Pease Foundation, which is uh, uh, the brothers, Brent and Kyle Pease, who raced Kona a couple years ago. And um, I'm good friends with them through Dynamo and through Atlanta. But Bentley Grace went a 250, Alyssa. And I what? think she set, she set a world record, a Guinness <gasps> world record for being like a pushed athlete. And she's like 19. So anyway, I, awesome. I know she, I like, I, I'm very, I was excited. I know she, she told me, she did tell me that going into this race, her goal was to break the world record and they were on the coverage actually when the top women were passing them, I actually saw Kristen Bentley Grace, um, running and that was really, really cool. So congratulations, Bentley Grace. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. I just Brent, Ky Brent Kyle raced as well, but, um, it's the iron women podcast. Yeah. Sorry, boys. <laughs> no, congratulations to them as well. <laughs> Um, and Haley, we have some mailbag coming in. So thanks to our listeners who are helping stock up our mailbag again. And Haley, are you ready to, to answer a couple questions here? Yes, I am. So, okay. So the first question came in from Melissa and she's feeling curious about fueling for an Ironman. She, um, says that she is a slower swimmer with a swim time of around one hour and 50 minutes for the 2.4 miles, which is still a great swim time. My first attempt at Ironman Wisconsin did not go well. And I experienced leg cramping in the final 800 yards of the swim that I couldn't shake on the bike, despite refueling as planned in T1. What are some tips that you have for high electrolyte options and when to take them to get myself through that first long leg of the race? I am trying again at Ironman Cozumel and want to start testing some options. So thanks for our help. And Haley, I mean, this one, I love this question. This one's like my bread and our bread and butter, I feel like. Yeah, this one. Okay. So my first thought, of course, was Noon Hydration, which is a podcast sponsor. Um, they have that Prime, a Prime product in their Podium series, which is like a higher electrolyte drink. And so I think you could try taking that before the swim start, just because you are out there for an hour and 50 minutes and just kind of front loading a little bit. It's good for the whole day, you know, just to kind of front load, which also you, you could take it. I think they also, you know, encourage you to take it the night before. Um, and so, and also just like the week before salt your food, I don't think you need to take any salt capsules, but I think drinking that as a drink can be really good. The other suggestion that I had, I thought of was, you know, consider maybe even like putting, you know, a gel in your suit that you could take mid swim. Um, I think it's Wisconsin two loops or, you know, if you, I, I know this is like a little bit hard, but like, I think it could be worth taking the like 30 seconds, like lay on your back, get a gel in. Yes. You don't have any water to like get it down. But if you, um, you know, start some gels don't require you to, to drink them with water or take them with water, but you will get some calories in and you'll get some, you know, some electrolytes in that way, because I do think that, an hour and 50 minutes is a long time to go with no fuel. So that would be, I mean, if you watched, um, the Olympics, you know, with the 10 K marathon swim, they're out there for about two hours and they have many feeding stations. And so we don't have the luxury of necessarily a feeding station, but I think that taking, you know, 
if, if there is a way, I know you're in a wetsuit, but if there's a way to like sneak one in, like, you know, in your kit, that kind of thing. Um, even just like in your sleeve, if you have a wetsuit, like right there. And then like, you know, if you're going through and you get out of the water, like you could even just take it while you're on dry land and take the 30 seconds. Yeah. Wisconsin's always been a one, oh, it's one loop. loop okay. Um, but it could be choppy. So you definitely will be maybe drinking some water. Don't so drink the lake water. That will not make you feel good. But again, like while you're out there, like put it in your sleeve. I, you could do this, Alyssa. Or your cap. Put it in your cap, You could do right? your cap too. That would be yeah. good. Yeah. Just like stick it in there, um, roll no. over on your back. Yeah. Like get a little bit away from people, take that gel and then get going again. Yeah. I feel like you could almost maybe put it up your leg. There's a lot of places in your suit you could hide a gel and still like swim with it. Um, but I, I think those suggestions are all good. I agree with like the, obviously the noon hydration. I think the prime is a, a great product. Also even noon instant, like for Cozumel, if, you know, that environment and when you're there and maybe the couple days at least beforehand is probably pretty humid, a little bit warm, um, maybe drinking, you know, a little bit more electrolytes than normal in those days prior to make sure you're just really well hydrated with electrolytes. I find a lot of people just don't realize like how often I'm drinking the noon sport. And it's like, I feel like I'm constantly hydrating with electrolytes. And so if that's not something that you normally do as your normal routine, then definitely in the days I think leading up, it can't hurt to maybe give yourself a little boost with some more electrolytes, knowing you have a lot of, um, a lot of activity coming up. Um, but that also could be something to just incorporate, maybe just trying to have, you know, if you're, uh, someone who drinks a lot of plain water, just drinking a lot more, um, of the electrolytes and seeing if that just makes, makes a difference for you. Um, but I like the idea of the calories during too. I think that's that's a good plan. Um, and I forget Cosmel. I forgot the Cosmel part. That's only that's one point to point swim. Is that oh, is it I like so. down current point to point? But I mean, again, it's beautiful. Just like you know, like then you're not in a wetsuit. Cosmel's warm, but you can stick it in your swim your swim skin. Stick it up your swim skin. It'll be yeah. fine. I mean, you'll have it like in your leg, like you said, that kind of thing. Pull it out. Like just roll over on your back. Maybe practice this in the pool sometime. <laughs> but um, it probably sounds scary. And then just stick the trash back up your leg and get going again. Yes. And, you know, and if you wanted to have just one extra, like, you know, kind of backup thing if all of the preloading or kind of you know and during fueling doesn't really help if you're still getting out with some leg cramps you could um also try noon instant and have like a bottle of that in transition so if you are getting out of the water and you find that your legs are cramping and you don't want to spend the bike with them cramped you know you could be drinking a lot of that like you could probably drink uh I don't know. I could probably chug like a small water bottle of noon instant. It tastes really good in T1 pretty easily. Flavor. I feel like, yeah. Ooh, watermelon so, flavor. <laughs> yeah. So you could so definitely good. just like get that in really quickly after you swim. You might have like, you know, if the legs had cramped, it might, it's not going to be like as instant as the, the product name, but I bet within like that first half hour, you'd start to get the effects of that. And if, if the cramping is related to an electrolyte issue, I do think it would kick in and, and help. Um, but then you would obviously want to continue getting in proper electrolytes through through the course of the whole race. Yeah, but good luck. Thank you for the question and good luck in Cosmo. And well, before we forget, Melissa, if you do want to try the noon products that we mentioned, you can always head to noonlife.com and use the code STAYFICY with a capital S and a capital F for 30% off. Um, I mean, Haley and I, Haley and I love them and use them all the time. So that's just a, a mm -hmm. bonus for our listeners. And all right, Haley, we have another mailbag question. I'm going to have us tackle today. Also kind of related to Ironman nutrition. So Alex sent in a question recently, my last couple of races, full distance, I have ended up vomiting water with a little disorientation. I attempted to self-diagnose hyponitremia since it's the only thing that makes sense. I went into my recent race full distance with this in mind and tried to combat it, combat it, but it still happened. I tried to use the extreme conditions scratch labs at the end of my bike, but the nausea started on my bike towards the end, the last two hours. With this, I can't eat or drink much of anything. I ended up forcing some of the extreme scratch labs down, followed by a little water. I ran the first four to five miles, but vomited up water and continued to dry heave. This made it really difficult to run at all because it felt like I wasn't getting anything down, but I still had a lot more running to do. Haley, what do we think? So I actually did, um, I, I 
consulted a medical professional because since I am not a medical professional, I have like anecdotal evidence, but or experience. But um, I, you know, I asked them what they thought about this and um, a primary care physician. And she was saying she actually thought it sounded more like dehydration was. Um, it, and I know that Alex said hyponatremia, which is overhydration is what she self-diagnosed, but it does the primary care physician I talked to said it sounded a little bit more like dehydration toward the end of the bike that was causing the nausea. And that did kind of make sense to me because in my own, you know, experience, I, I know that when I get too hot, like if I'm riding the trainer without a fan and I start getting really, really hot, I will get very nauseous. And so that is when I've had that. And, um, and I do, I, I've dealt with a lot of nausea and, I think that sometimes it's a little bit counterintuitive that the thing that helps me the most is to like eat solid food. Um, bread works really, really well. And I know that when you're out there on the bike, maybe that is a little bit hard to come by. But if you have like a bar of some kind that maybe you could get in, just getting food into my stomach, getting solid food into my stomach, that helps me a lot. And so um, even though it is like the last thing in the world that you want to do, I do think that that um, – it can help. And if you are vomiting, you are losing water. And so, um, you know, maybe that is, it is something with hydration. Yeah, I would, um, I would say based on my experience, you know, my experiences with dehydration also would line up with what you're feeling. I think that it does make you feel really sick. It makes you vomit. It makes you, it's like so counterintuitive because if you're, you would think if your body's dehydrated, why isn't the water making it better? Or why isn't food and everything, you know, why can't I get this down? This is what my body needs. And that's just your body, you know, goes into these other kind of survival modes, I think. And it just, it's not really helpful. So, um, you know, what I try when I've been in those instances is just really tiny sips, like tiny, tiny, tiny sips at a time, just getting it in and keeping it down. Same with food, like really tiny bites of food. Um, you know, I, I always think of when I did this like six day stage race a couple years ago in, in Texas and the second day was so, so hot. And I came out of that so dehydrated. I couldn't eat the dinner. And like, I knew I had four more days of running ahead of me and I was like getting so nauseous and dry heaving. Like anytime I would eat a spoonful of my macaroni and cheese. Right. But you have to have to like, just take your time with it, which doesn't bode well for like mid race troubleshooting. Um, because it is like a long process, but, and you kind of have to like pull the effort back and like let your body kind of, I think, do one thing at a time. So, um, you know, I would say maybe troubleshooting the dehydration factor again before, um, it's, it's like hit you, um, is, is an important thing and just trying to not obviously get into that state. So, um, could be something to consider there. Um, also, you didn't say where these full distances were, but if they had ocean swims, I get really, you know, sick feeling too after ocean swims. If I'm like doing a an, a race in the ocean and then I get on my bike and I'm immediately pushing really hard, I feel very nauseous and that's um, really hard to kind of deal with. And it's like, I don't know, mind over matter again, small sips, small bites, and eventually it kind of settles, but, um, but it's tough. And the one thing I will say is if you're, if you're wondering if it is dehydration, like something I learned is as you're trying to reverse it, basically, is that if you're getting in small sips and you're getting in little bites of food and that's making you burp, that's actually like a really good thing. Like you want to be like burping up, you know, just like getting that burp. Cause that means your stomach is like absorbing it. It's using it. Things are happening in there. Um, so that's like a key thing as you're troubleshooting with mm-hmm. this and races that, um, you could look for. <laughs> belching. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, but I know I'm trying to think, I mean, even for, I was thinking for Alex, like, you know, if you could even like, like stop in transition or stop it at aid station, if it gets that bad and like pour water on yourself, like try to cool off and like give yourself a few minutes on like solid ground to like get your heart rate down and maybe try to get some solid food and some fluids in, it could be worth it. You know, if it saves your day, it might save you hours of walking on the run. So, you know, a few minutes in, in transition or on the bike, but, um, no, Alyssa, thank you for that tidbit. And also, and thank you, Alex, for the question. And thank you for the throwback to your heavy backpack race. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've forgotten about that one. Oh, you're welcome, Haley. You're welcome. Uh, all right. Well, we, we have a couple other questions I'm saving in the mailbag, but uh, keep filling it up, everyone. We really enjoy getting these questions. You can send us your questions at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Haley, whew, this has been a long intro, mostly about me talking about sitting on a bucket 
sideways in a canoe and you're shoveling snow, but we do have some triathlon talk to get to today because we have professional triathlete Nikki Bartlett coming on to talk to us today. This is a really fun interview. She just finished like, uh, you know, very recently before talking to us second in Lanzarote 70.3 last weekend. She just raced this three weeks after she raced 70.3 Worlds, where she was ninth. Um, Nikki, this summer, was also a guide in the paratriathlon PTVI category in Tokyo. So she talks to us about that. Um, and we also get some really great insight into Nikki's unique approach to longevity in sports. So we kind of hit on all the things in this one. Really fun interview. Thanks, Nikki, for coming on so soon after your race. Um, and we'll hear from Nikki next. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Lisa Ringerfield, co-founder of the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. We are really excited to announce that the Outspoken Summit will be returning in 2021. This year has created an opportunity for triathletes to get back in the blocks and start to rebuild triathlon to create a more inclusive and welcoming space for all. Join us from the 12th to the 14th of November as we host a virtual summit to connect with like-minded women, center women's equity in the sport, hear from industry leaders, and develop leadership skills related to our roles in triathlon. The summit will provide a rich forum to develop strong voices, inspire others, and advocate for change in the sport we love. For more information and to sign up for the event, go to outspokensummit.com. We hope to see you there. Hey, Haley, it's officially fall, and I am drinking my noon hydration immunity. <laughs> Alyssa, I love a good pun and a good warm fall beverage, but can you tell me a little bit more about this new Immunity 3 product? What does the 3 stand for? It stands for vitamins, electrolytes, and prebiotics, the three keys to staying healthy and hydrated this season. Noon Hydration Immunity 3 comes in Mandarin, Orange, and Superberry flavors, and all Iron Women podcast listeners can get 30% off Immunity 3 and the whole line of Noon Hydration products by using the code STAYFEISTY at NoonLife.com. The Iron Women Podcast wants to give a huge shout out to Orca Sportswear for their continued support in 2021. As someone who isn't a natural born swimmer, my choices for swim gear are super important. Orca has me ready to battle for every second I need in the water with the open water, triathlon, and swim run wetsuits. They also have safety buoys, goggles, cold water caps, and booties. You name it, they have it. The code IRONWOMEN15 will get you 15% off, so head to orca.com today and let's get ready to swim in 2021. Hi, Nikki. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Thanks, guys, for having me on. Yeah, looking forward to coming back on. So we're super excited to catch you so quickly after you raced Ironman 70.3 Lanzarote. So congratulations on your second place there. It sounded like a great day. Yeah, it was amazing. This island's absolutely brutal. Um, I came out here on the training camp and kind of saw the the 70.3 on was, was on as well. And I was like, ah, oh, it's too good an opportunity not to do both. So the training camp combined with a race was brilliant. Loved it. Oh, nice. Yeah, that sounds like the the perfect addition to a training camp. And yeah. I was I was watching the tracker a little bit, and it looked like you and Annie Haug maybe were, were together or close maybe going into the run before she put a little bit of separation between you guys. Um, but I'm sure there's a lot more dynamics kind of at play there. So can you tell us about how the day unfolded for you? Yeah, it was a great day. Um, it started with really beautiful sea swim um, in player blankets, absolutely like crystal clear in there. It was so nice um and yeah Indy kind of took off in the swim as expected I kind of went into the swim thinking I I if I had my best ever swim I could probably get on Anne's feet and um uh, a, a girl who I got to know here uh, from Estonia she's ITU um I thought if I had you know a really good start I could get on their feet but I just missed it um so I knew I'd kind of the chance of swimming on my own was pretty high um but also put enough pressure on that nobody would get a drag on my feet um and I had probably one of my career best swims I was only just under a minute off and how uh coming out the water um about two and a half 220 on Indy which for me is a good swim um and I came out of trans and it was such a long run (laughs) it was probably about a k from swim exit to your bike um all on concrete which my calves never ache after a race like my calves are always fine but after the race I was like Cars feel like they're going to cramp, which is really weird. And then I w- worked out we probably did about two k of running on bare feet. Oh, um, so you had that. So thank God I hadn't, didn't have any injuries leading into the race because that would have been hell. Um, got out and I could see them straight away. So I just put in a massive burst, kind of catch up. Not Indy, Indy was gone. Um, 
And yeah, I just kind of tactically kind of went with Anne around and um, yeah, it's, it's a brutal course. So you can't really just go around with anyone. Um, it's like a, it's like a massive climb coming out of player banker, which lasts I think between like 10 and 13 minutes. And then you kind of descend it quite technically. And then it's a block headwind on like a kind of like a dual carriageway type road into another hill climb in similar fire back down and a massive long stretch back. And you do that loop again and then you do the climb again on an out and back dog legs. So you do the climb three times. Um, I came off the bike just in front. Um, so had fast bike split um, the day, which was great. And kind of when you're coming off the bike around how you kind of know where things are going to go from there. Um, so my, my tactic was just never being caught by kind of third place um, and hold on to second. Um, and, you know, I initially try and um, keep the gap to minimum, but she's just an, like, she thinks she had the third fastest run split of the day um, of the, as in the men. Um, uh, and it was a K and a bit long. So she ran a 120 of a K and a bit long on, it was hot course. It was hilly very twisty turny it was like four loops but like in out in out so it wasn't like just kind of run on a nice straight road um I actually found it was it felt like a slower run course in St George which is saying something um different very different um because St George was just like one long stretch up and then kind of like a down but this one was like quite technical ribbon breaker so it's a quite hard run course um and the, the times itself show it was a very slow slow course to be on um, so yeah, I was really pleased with my performance. Um, kind of straight away got back into a little bit of training because then I'll go into a big, big taper for my last race of the season, which is Portugal seven point three. Wow, I that was like I was like that was very riveting. I felt like I was there, and I have never raced in Lanzarote, <laughs> but Alyssa has. Alyssa, you've raced in Lanzarote, right? I have, yeah. And it's you know when for our listeners, when Nikki says, "Oh, it's hot. Oh, it's windy." Like Lanzarote is the windsurfing capital of the world, or that area is right. So that the winds, especially, yeah. I found there. It, it makes was, Kona feel still. Oh yeah, I mean it's like it's unlike anything I've ever experienced, and it is. It just mixes with that heat, and it's it's like quite a combination out there. Like it's a it's a really yeah. tough. Even like the easy days out there are really tough. Yeah, I th- I literally describe it as every session feels like your first one back off the off season. Like no session feels good. You feel horrendous the whole time you're here. Yeah. Um, and then you go back and recover, and that's when you feel quite fit. Um, <laughs> but you have to manage yourself really well here, otherwise you can just blow up so easily. Also, you just need to be on it all the time. Like the run at the weekend was really windy, um, so that took a lot out of you. Like to the point, Bex was doing voice voice notes. My that Bex my other half. Um, but also my coach, she's doing voice notes on family group chat and they generally couldn't hear her because the wind was so harsh. Um, so the, the bike was kind of windy, but not like proper lands of winds. Um, like even today, like on my long ride, like I genuinely thought it was quite a still day and I was descending and all of a sudden this gust of wind came out the side and I could see my bike like just go over as if it was just going to split, like completely slide under me and I just saved it. And I was like, oh my God. So you just have to be on it all the time. And it's quite tiring in that light aspects as well um so yeah so it makes you very strong but and mentally tough because you just basically think you're really unfit <laughs> is there any way to train for that aside from <laughs> training there is that why you go there yeah I train here because I'm not a massive gadgets person anyway like I generally do all my runs to feel and my stopwatch and I'll do some key rides here to to sessions uh, in bots and stuff but a lot of it's to feel again um, but yeah, I come out here cause it just, I feel like it makes me really strong, um, mentally more as well than anything else. And I just love the Island. It's not for everyone. Um, but if anyone's like, oh, I want to do Lanzarote, I always say to come out here first and, and have a go. Cause the winds sometimes, yeah, they're just so brutal. It makes it such a long, slow day. <laughs> but there is, there is a great setup. I remember from being out there too. Like, I don't know kind of where you, you stay when you're out there, but I was at Club La Santa and I mean, it's just an environment made to make training easy. Right. So even when you're putting in long, hard training days, like the track is there, the pool is there. And a lot of the resorts and hotels kind of out around there have that set up. And, you know, like you're, I think recording from the hotel lobby where you get Wi-Fi. like yeah. Wi-Fi is not easy to come by, right. There's very minimal distractions no. out there. It's like, it is a great place to get in a good hard training block for sure. Yeah, I'm in like um, Relaxia in Puerto de Carmen and uh, called La- Relaxia Lanzapla. I was a player, or how, I don't know how to pronounce it, and it's like 90 second walk to the beach. So I'm like in the sea straight away. It's just like a 
15 minute cycle down to the local pool um i've got full full inclusive food here so like i just do my session and then roll straight into food <laughs> um so you kind of you never go hungry so it's just a really easy way of living and just like put shorts and jersey on every day you don't have to worry about the weather and the uk is cold like i feel the cold quite a lot um so yeah like i love just coming out here for for simplicity as well and Nikki, you mentioned that kind of the comparison to St. George and, and the course there. And this race came just three weeks after you finished ninth at the 70.3 World Championships there in St. George. So do you like, it sounded like you weren't, were you planning, I guess, to race Lanzarote at that point? Or did you truly throw that in kind of a, on a whim, like later when you realized it was still on after St. George? Do you think that, you know, your race in Utah gave you more confidence racing? How did that kind of pair in that double go? Um, I'm going to be really honest. I don't think one race this year I had planned other than um, the guiding side I was doing. That was all, but that even that was like, I knew I was doing the Paralympics. I didn't know what races we were doing qualifying. I didn't know early season races, which ones I'd do. To be honest, like I'd entered the world champs, but I wasn't 100% committed to it because it was so close after Paralympics. Um, like I got back from the Paralympics and then to the UK for five days and then we flew to St. George's proper like jet lag hell um so yeah I think I decided to do it um mainly because the girl I was guiding has been injured all year so I was like okay I need a big goal now um so that's really what pushed the decision um and I felt like I'd been training really well and I I had a good shot at doing well like my swims come on massively so it gives you bigger opportunity in races when you're coming out further up the fields in the swim um like bike and runs I just basically felt like I just a fist of being I'd qualified and I thought why not um especially then when we were so luckily put up by a, a really nice homestay so I was like this is just a no-brainer now to definitely go um and I just loved it out there St George course is brilliant I loved it um and I'm really really hoping to qualify for the 70.3 worlds next year as well because I'd love to get back um but I am going there to do the kind of world champs in May because I've qualified for that so I'm absolutely chuffed to bits as there and at that 70.3 Worlds, there were five British women in the top 10. What do you think is contributing to this? Is there an increased attention in long course triathlon or triathlon in general? I mean, the British women are doing very well at all, all distances. So is there something about the athlete development going on in Great Britain right now? Yeah, it's across all pathways. So it's like Olympic distance and long distance. Like I think of like, just like you look at the Olympic Games and like the medals we've got there and um, the pathway and then you look at and then some athletes who don't quite make it onto those teams come across to long distance like Indy who I'm here with like she's former European champion she's done very high level ITU um, and has come across so like it just builds the strength all the time and I think there's I think there's 10 of us who've qualified for Ironman World Champs next year um, long course which is just incredible and like if you look at all those names every one of them could come top 10 um and yeah it's just absolutely insane like the the level and it just all pushes and drives each other on like yeah I look at like yeah so there was was there five of us yeah five of us in top 10 but like you're like really chuffed your performance you're like oh but if they can do it why can't I do it like keep going up so it kind of like pushes you on inspires you motivates you daily um yeah, so so yeah, I think everyone just pushes each other on and and wants to, to be a part of it. I love it, and I think that that definitely is contributory when you see your peers kind of you know reaching that next level. It's it definitely plants the seed in your brain. So that's that's really cool to get to watch. And you mentioned already that you were a paratri guide for British athlete Alison Peasgood in the PTVI category this summer in the Tokyo Games. Yeah. So. Can you tell us a little bit about this experience? Have you always been a guide? Was it new for the Olympics? Like, how did this this come about? Yes, yeah, so I um, joined an initiative in 20, late 2018 for Guys for Gold. Um, it's basically to kind of get involved and see if you wanted to be a guide for Paralympic athletes. Um, so I've been, since 2019, um, a guide. And with the whole intention and build-up towards the Paralympic Games, of which was meant to be in 2020, and then obviously got moved to 2021, um very fortunate it even went ahead um probably some of the best experiences i ever had in my lifetime absolutely love to go back to paris in 2024 um so yes it's it's incredible experience and yeah it's kind of like those memories for a lifetime brought a lot of challenges in other ways but um it only makes you stronger and more resilient as a person as well and can you tell us about the actual race i think you you and allison finished i think just two seconds out of the bronze medal 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so Alison's had like a really tough couple of years in terms of illness and injury. Literally for two years, been either ill or injured. So, um, and came into the games on crutches. So, kind of to get on the start line was something I didn't think was going to even happen. Um, to the point with my also my brother's wedding on that same day. So I thought. So there was discussions of, you know, if Alison's not going to make it to the start line, I was going to get phone home to my brother's wedding. So we were on holding camp in Miyazaki, and I didn't even know if I was going to go into Tokyo itself. So to get on the start line was amazing. To come forth was incredible which you know people from the outside like oh you just missed out and I was like you do not know how close we were to not even making the start line so yeah so I was just I just embraced the day so much because we were actually on the start line (laughs) and to be there and watch the people you train with daily as well um it was just incredible how does the program work? Does like did you and Allison kind of go through the qualification racing process together, or are you, yeah. have you been with other athletes at other times? And then like, can you and Allison now kind of work together for redemption at that you know at the uh, for that podium spot in twenty twenty four? Yeah, so because um, Allison's had quite a lot of time out, actually ended up helping one of our other girls, well not helping but also guiding another girl, Melissa, to. I think we came second in Lausanne at the World Champs in 2019. So that uh, put her on kind of her way to qualifying as well. Um, so there was a mix, but not not intentionally, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, so I was so, kind of, I was Alison's guide for for the, the cycle. So you did the qualification, but literally up until April, it looked like the qualification process was just going to be stopped. And that, I don't know how it would happen, how they would have worked it out, if it was going to be invite or not. And then they were like, oh, no, the qualification window's open. And I was like, oh, my God, right, so what's this mean? And then they put the whole list of races out, and we needed just two good races. We were like, okay, we'll do Milan World Champs and then Leeds. That'll be enough. And then literally about – so we made that plan. So then I made my long-distance plan after that race season. And about five days after that, they cancelled Milan, <laughs> which is a qualification race. Um, and it's, it was just a very difficult time of trying to plan anything. Um, uh, so, yeah, that made it quite difficult, in fact, yeah. Wow. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit about the training? Like, are you and Alison able to train together? Are you and any of the athletes training together? So uh, Alison lives in Scotland, which is quite far from where we are in Loughborough, which is like six, seven hour drive. Um, so she lives quite far away, but obviously with COVID times, like you can travel, you can train. Um, but she also has a training guide. So I'm primarily a race guide and you do a bit of training in the lead up, but you're primarily there just kind of to race and and kind of get enough skills into the belt to make sure you're in good enough race shape. Um, so, yeah, Alison will have a day-to-day training guide, which threw up a lot of fireworks as well, because obviously, you know, I don't think in COVID times you would really even have to go on tandem with your training guides. Like, it was all very complex, with so many different rules, like, to the point I can't actually remember them. <laughs> it was just so, like, we were out that once a day, that kind of stuff. Like, it just threw in so many challenges. Um but kind of when you go to a race outside of COVID times, like as a race guide, you have like a couple of days leading into the race just to kind of find some skills and then you're away. And then you mentioned, oh, sorry, I was going to say, you mentioned a little bit about um, <laughs> like fitting in your own races and like, I mean, I know, like you said, a lot of it was COVID driven races getting canceled, which is hard for, for, for both circuits and you're racing on two different circuits. Can you like... I mean, have you just been like, you kind of mentioned with 70.3 Worlds and with uh, Lanzarote that you were sort of last minute decisions. I mean, was everything kind of just based around those Paralympics and then Ironman UK last minute decision as well? Yeah, pretty much last minute decisions. Like, um, and also like decisions based on, because like I'm not great at traveling, like I'm not great sleeper. So like in a year, I'll try and do two three long 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 haul flights like I can't some people just bounce around all the time I can't do that so like when the Paralympic window opened I was actually going to go to Tulsa and do the Ironman there and then I was like oh god we're gonna but but actually because actually in April I was like are these Paralympics even happening like so then when you know I made some more decisions to race closer to home um you know especially if you've got quarantined and you know I couldn't get back and miss a Paralympic qualification race that kind of stuff so you the beginning of the season was actually really stressful. Um, you know, there was times where I said to the team, like, you know, these are the races I've, I've changed my race plans so many times now. I'm just sticking to this. These are the races I'm doing with, we're going to have to sort this out somehow that 
I can't just be the only person to be relied on to, to be a race guide, but also I can't just keep dropping the plans as well. Like it's got to work both ways. So that bit was really challenging. Um, outside of COVID times, like you can plan so much. So like next year, for instance, I, I've actually paused guiding for a bit. Um, but next year, for instance, in kind of what would I would see now as probably a full race calendar, it would be so much easier to plan. Like it's not usually a problem at all. Um, it's probably a problem when there's like, cause Alison doesn't race as much as say our PTVI athlete, Dave, like Dave will like do six, seven, eight races a year, which then I would think is pretty impossible to have your own career alongside that as well. Um, but Alison was doing like three races a year. So that was manageable. But if she was doing like any more than that, that's, I would have to hundred percent leave riding. So I wouldn't be able to match my own individual career as well. Um, so yeah, it depends on the athlete. Um, it depends if you want your own individual career. Um, and yeah, just it's, yeah, there's a lot of if, buts, who, that kind of stuff. (laughs) And Nikki, I was going through your Instagram a little bit and I found a post from last year where you wrote that you were hoping to be racing pro for another 10 years. And so I believe that you're 34 (laughs) years old now. Um, and I think, you know, we can watch any field of women racing these days and it seems like crushing it at 44 years old is still totally possible. So but I'm curious, like, like you mentioned that you don't, you know, sleep very well. So long haul flights, you just, you know, you kind of really limit, like, it sounds like maybe you are doing things now that are part of that plan for longevity in sport and just like taking care of yourself and doing some little things and decisions to help you, you know, be on that 10 year track to still be, you know, on podiums at 44. Like, do you feel like you're doing specific things for longevity and you know, what are they? Yeah. It's funny you said that, like literally about 10, 15 minutes before this, I put a post out basically saying like me and my other half Bex, who also coaches me, we do a lot of decisions based on happiness. Um, so like today, um, I don't usually ride for six hours. That's just not something I tend to do unless I'm prepping for an Ironman or probably not even ride up to six hours even then. But I just wanted to go around the island in Lanzarote. It's probably my last chance to put in a six hour ride before kind of like tapering down to Portugal. And then it's my off season. So basically did the ride purely for happiness and because I just love it. So like we'll do a lot of decisions based on that as well. Like not all the time, like tomorrow. I really don't want to do a speed swim, but I've got to go and do a speed swim. <laughs> but we'll put it in a pool, which is beautiful. So then it kind of like, you know, helps out a little bit at the sun on the back. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of decisions we may make based on happiness. Like, um, yeah, there's loads of decisions. Like when I looked into the World 7.3 course, I was like, do you know what? This course looks epic. Um, financially, there's a lot better decisions probably to make um, racing locally in Europe. There was a lot of good money earners around that time. Um, but we wanted to go somewhere which was new, exciting. Everyone said it was beautiful. We had the most amazing homestay, and we probably both left there saying that was the best trip we've ever done in my career. Um, so it was, like, the best decision. So, like, we do do a lot of stuff based on happiness, and I generally think happiness leads to success. Um, and if you can just look after your happiness, like, you're just, your longevity of anything in life is just enhanced so much. Like, there's a lot of decisions me and Bex have been making recently, um where we're like does this make me happy um you know is this causing impact on my health and well-being um and yeah we've been making decisions and like recently like my sleep levels I've been sleeping double the amount of hours per night than I have been for the the year like we've been sleeping like nine ten hour nights whereas you know points in this year I was getting four or five hours of sleep because I was in a bit of stress with with some things we were doing um so yes 100% we look after our happiness first and then I think a lot of other things after that follow and I generally do want to be competitive in the sport I genuinely think so I was on Bob Abbott interview and I was like Bob I'm literally just starting like I know like I'm an older athlete like I'm 34 but like I generally feel like I'm just getting into my flow right now um and yeah like I think the longer you've been in sport you learn so much about yourself and what you need to do to look after yourself to make wise and happy decisions and to have fun like like genuinely like um I went into Lanza with like pretty much like a two-day taper like I was pretty tired and two-day taper when you've been training in Lanzarote <laughs> is not enough to freshen up at all and like I was knackered on the run but I was just so happy there was just so much to be happy about and I just was loving life and I went across the line just so happy um and yeah so I think there's a lot to be said and it's actually very timely how you've put that out there um so yeah so it's so true has this 
always kind of been your disposition. You know, I know you are like pretty new for the triathlon circuit and stuff um, with long course racing, but um, you know, like have, I guess in your previous sporting days, was that kind of how you made decisions or is this something that maybe like the pandemic brought to light for you guys? Like we need to start making decisions based on happiness more. And like, you know, I don't know, did that have anything to do with it? Well, you're definitely life's too short. Like you just don't know what's around the corner. I guess that's COVID, isn't it? Like you don't know what's going to happen. Um, like I've done sport like rowing where God, we would like in a center and you basically couldn't really leave the center. And with triathlon, you can pick it up and take it wherever you want to. You can go and see places you want to. You can kind of be in control of your decisions. Um, so definitely think COVID has been a massive part of it, 100%. Um, yeah, life's short. Just go and do what makes you happy for sure. And you mentioned your rowing background. And I actually know a couple triathletes who have a background in rowing. I'm curious if you know of any similarities between rowing and triathlon. You just said, you know, a difference is that in rowing, you're in a center. In triathlon, you can kind of go wherever. But it does seem like rowing creates great triathletes rowing if I did not row I don't think I would last in triathlon for that long because I went into rowing from university so I learned how to row at university and I can remember my friend was like oh I need a pairs partner at this GB camp and I was like oh my god I've literally just started the sport I'll be terrible and I was I was shocking I was so unfit I couldn't handle it the volume they were doing at all I was awful and I think I came back and I think I slept for a month because like at uni like when you just pick it up like it you drink more than you were training and your training session would never really be over 45 minutes <laughs> so like I went on a camp where like you did like three one and a half hour sessions a day I was like what is all this training this is ridiculous so like that mindset I had to learn to adapt to overcome all that um and just I think mindset more than anything else so like when I came to triathlon, everyone's like, oh, God, like, in the winter, we spend a lot of time on the turbo, like, below 10 degrees. I don't really like going outside on the bike. Like, I get too cold. Like, I sweat a lot as well. No clothing will stop my sweat. So even if I went outside in the winter in a T-shirt, I'd sweat it through. So, like, I just get cold. So, I just I just put myself in the turbo where I know I could be happy. Well, I'd rather be outside, but, you know, you can't, you can't be fussy in the winter. Um, so, I'd be happy and warm. Um, where was I going with that? Uh, it's better than a rowing machine, oh, no. I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, so that's literally what I was going to say. So the turbo is way better than a rowing machine. So, like, when people are like, oh, God, the turbo's boring, I was like, mate, you need to go on the rowing machine for, like, 24K. And, like, you can have a nil pond outside on the rowing lake, but you're still going on that to, that um, rowing machine once a day. Like, it's a training tool, and that's the same with turbos and treadmills, the training tools for performance. Um, so, yeah, so, so you, you kind of, like, that development of mindset has led me into triathlon um uh, if I hadn't had that I would have been I'd burnt out straight away that wouldn't have lasted very long I think there there must be something for rowers like that mindset piece is like a huge asset to to you I imagine for now for everything you do in life when I went to the Naval Academy in the States for two years and for women they have a quite good rowing program and for women every woman who at least when I was there came through the doors they put you on a rower so the rowing coach could decide if he was going to try and like recruit you for the team or whatever and I was like I got on the machine I had never rowed before and I was like I did it like for five minutes and I was like there's no way I can do this so I totally acted like I like couldn't row at all because I was like I don't want any coach to like even think I'm athletic to like try and put me on a team because this is like this is like too like yeah someone who could do that and kind of perform well I think you would definitely have the the ability to like, yeah, take it to triathlon training for sure. So that's quite impressive. A hundred percent agree. Like I think I've been on the road and I don't think I've ever touched the road machine since. I can remember when Beck said, oh, show me that technique. And I was like, oh God, I don't even know if I still didn't remember. So I went on it for about five minutes. I was like, that is so tiring. No, leaving it. <laughs> I haven't been on it since. It's so hard. Uh, what about the team aspect of rowing versus triathlon yeah. being more individual? Well, I love to, that's probably why I got into guiding mainly as well, the team, like British triathlon set up as a team and then working in unison with someone on tandem or swim, bike, run is just really special. There's it's something really hard to put into words, like when you get it right and you're just there, you don't have to talk, you're just in unison with a team and you just feel like you just hear and feel movement. And that's very related to, to guiding and, and same as rowing, like a lot of it is just rhythm, um, connection without necessarily having to talk um and the team element is something that I loved and it's something I loved in guiding and it's something I also just love as being a pro like I love to just 
grab people and be like, come and do this session, or, you know, you've got this session, I've got this session, let's try and merge it somehow. Um, like, for instance, Indies are way quicker swimmer than me, but we're going to make a session work together in the pool tomorrow. Like, you can always make it work. Like, you just, there's, it's, I hate it when sports are like, oh, no, but you're not quick enough, so you can't do it with them. It's like, you can always make things work with other people. It doesn't matter your ability. Um, so I love just being with people, um, training with people. There are... Don't get me wrong, like today I really enjoyed a long ride on my own. Like I really love just switching off. Like there are times where I just love to be on my own. And that like certain stuff like recovery sessions I like to do on my own because I find not many people can do a recovery session how you would want to go that certain pace. Um, but yeah, I love just like building a team around you. Um, and I'm definitely not solo in what I do. There's so many people that help me out. And Nikki, we know it's getting later in Lanzarote. We want to make sure you can get to bed um, before it's too late. But we've we've all been... Uh, I'm quite a le- late okay. to bed person. <laughs> she needs her I 10 know. hours. I was like doing the calculations. I was like, oh man, we should have done this an hour earlier. But no, we've been... Oh, that's no, all good. Yeah, we've been riding the highs and lows of Kona 2020. Like you mentioned, now it's turned you know, Kona 2021. Now May in Kona or May of 2022 in St. George. Yeah. I can barely even get it out. Like the details just keep fumbling in my brain, but um, you know, overall, how have you been handling these adjustments? It sounds like you're really looking forward then to returning to St. George for that, for that full distance race. Oh, when they announced it at St. George, I was absolutely buzzing. Firstly, because they're putting on a pro, like, putting on a world champs, which first and foremost is, I would say most important for the whole sport. Um, pros need a world championships. Um, so, I'm just looking at the positives because it's so easy just to be like and keep digging at negative. So it's a beautiful location. The town get behind it. It's a bucket list place to go to. Once you've been, you want to go back. Um, it's somewhere to get really excited about. Like I'm going into my off season and I'm just so excited about next year because of that race. That'll be my first big race. Um, I'll come back out to Lanzarote for a training camp and do the 7.3 here in March as prep. Um, and then, yeah, so like, it's something which just really excites me. Um, you know, there's equal women to males racing. Oh no, no, sorry. That's in October, but like they're, they're making changes, um, which I think, you know, are big steps forward. Like I would love to see the 20 meter draft wall come in. That would be bucket this, but you can't keep digging for stuff like step by step. But yeah, I think just look at positives and be like, oh, so thankful these are on. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, I'm buzzing for it. Great to hear that. We're excited to watch you there. Well, uh, I guess, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, racing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you are there. <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, Nikki, awesome job last weekend. I'm also very impressed when I'm, like, doing the math here, and I'm like, wait a second, you just raced, like, two days, and then you did a six-hour ride, like, right after that. I mean, you're obviously in great form, and your happiness is is coming through in the screen and I'm excited to see how you do in Portugal. So good luck as you prep for that. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you both in St. George. Haley, have you ever been jealous of the elite running or cycling groups who are able to get their blood work done super quickly and efficiently because they have a doctor on staff? Yes, I have been jealous. I have a great primary care physician, but I'll admit sometimes I'm curious about certain blood markers in between my annual doctor visits. Me too. And that's why I'm excited. Inside tracker is here. Inside Tracker is on-demand blood testing. You pick your plan online, schedule your blood draw appointment locally, and get your results within a few days. My favorite part, they don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips too. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering our listeners 25% off of their entire store. Just go to insidetracker.com/ironwomen and get started. Haley, have you ever realized that skincare is an all-season job? It really is, Alyssa. Winter can be just as harsh on my skin as the summertime sun. I rely on Zelio skincare products to get me through every season here in Montana. My favorite winter products are the body lotion, lip protection, and of course, Betwixt chamois cream. Mine too. And our Iron Women listeners can also stock up on Zelio's products for the season ahead. Use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 15% off. That's right. Get 15% off at teamzelios.com using code IRONWOMEN. Well, Haley, you know, listening to Nikki talk about Lanzarote and the Lanzarote, I think is the people there call it, actually. I probably should have brought that up earlier in the interview, but it made me nostalgic for the time I did spend there because I do remember just like the ease of training there, the lack of distractions, how fun it is because you stay at the places that have like the cafeterias and you can just roll in after training. And I'm like, oh man. I need to go back to a training camp or something. Maybe 
maybe race Lanzarote again. I don't know. Um, but I definitely feel like you love St. George. I think you would like it over in Lanzarote too. So maybe, maybe that is a course you should put on your bucket list. I like some hills, some wind, some heat, <laughs> more hills, more wind, more heat. Um, we could do some post-race windsurfing. I really did want to try the windsurfing situation. That was there. when I raced in Fortaleza in Brazil. Like there was like, it was like very, a lot of windsurfing and that was the hardest swim I've ever done in my whole life. Like I thought I might die. I should say actually for our listeners too we didn't really talk about this so the Ironman Lanzarote at least I'm not sure where the 70.3 swim is but um that swim is one of the calmest swims I've actually ever done uh because of where like it's actually set and how the water just is like in I guess like maybe a bay or something like that so there is like obviously very choppy ocean water around but in the race specifically um if they haven't changed it from when I did it I think in 2015 maybe um then the water is very calm. So don't let all of the, the heat and the wind scare you from that as like a treacherous swim. It's not. Also, Haley, as I'm thinking about this race that I did, fun fact, when I raced Ironman Lanzarote, I outran Lucy Charles, oh. who was just Lucy Charles at that time. <laughs> um, that uh, Yeah, that is a fun fact. That's like um, something you definitely should put on your resume. Or if when we have her on the show, we should, you should let her know. <laughs> ask her, <laughs> ask if like, you remember you, that before you, remember, you were a world champion. Her first or second, yeah. <laughs> second Ironman attempt. That yeah. Pre, before you were a world champion, um, do you remember racing Alyssa? I bet she does. I bet she does. Lucy's pretty nice. I bet she remembers. But it does when you talk when you talk about that, like Club of Santa and even the place where um, Nikki was staying. It reminded me. It did just remind me a little bit of like. Shamarin in Slovakia, the ex bionic sphere. I think those sport resorts very popular in Europe. We don't really have, I mean, something that similar in the U.S. But I can see, I mean, being able to like roll in from a session right to a cafeteria is quite nice. <laughs> quite nice. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I can, I can uh, boil some water occasionally, but it's nice if someone else does it for me. <laughs> All right, Haley. Well. I just want to remind the listeners, you can send a mailbag questions to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Haley, in the meantime, stay warm. I hope your arms recover from the snow shoveling um, and keep us posted on the, the early Bozeman winter. Yes, I will for sure, Alyssa. Uh, you have a great week. Recover well, get some sleep. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited and produced by Lindsay Glassford. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thank you to our sponsors, Noon Hydration, Zelio Skincare, Orca Sportswear, and Inside Tracker. You can find all websites and discount codes at ironwomenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. 